This is TV Podcast Industries, where we're talking about the boys, season one, episode four, the female of the species. If they let us into the military, then this will never happen again. That is my solemn promise to you. Right, Maeve? Talk to your congressmen. Talk to them. They'll listen to the people. And together, together we will make sure that this never happens to our great nation ever again. God bless you. God bless America. We hear you, Homelander. And I hear you, brother. I hear you. And the world hears you. And very, very soon, my friend, whoever did this to us will hear from all of us. Welcome back to TV Podcast Industries, where we are talking about The Boys Season 1, Episode 4, The Female of the Species. And if you don't have that song in your head right now, what is wrong with you? <laughs> First of all, I my name is Chris. I am one of your boys who will be here taking you through this episode. I am joined by my illustrious co-hosts. Gentlemen, do you want to introduce yourself? Yep. Yeah, welcome back, everybody. I'm Derek, one of your other co-hosts. Yeah, hello there, boys and girls. It is John, one of your other hosts as well. Yes, we are all about the boys here on TV Podcast Industries, and we're here with the female of the species. Yes, if you want to hear any of our other discussions about previous shows like Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, uh, any of the MCU, or if you're interested in checking out Pennyworth, none other than Batman's Butler prequel series i'll let you boys describe it better but that's all of it is available over on tvpodcastindustries.com and don't forget if you have feedback on that or any of the shows including the boys you can leave us a voicemail or subscribe on any drunk or sober good or evil boys or seven podcast player we've just been taking our description for pettyworth from sean persuey who described him as batman's batman so we have batman's batman's got a backstory is our description of, uh, of Pennyworth. So, uh, and it's been pretty good. It's been uh, very violent, similar in style and tone a little bit to the boys, actually, um, because it doesn't hold back on the type of stuff it puts on screen or the type of language it uses at all. And if you've watched five seasons, 100 episodes of Gotham and think that it ties in with that on the same level and the same language and the same level of violence, it's, uh, it's a lot worse, a lot more violent, a lot yeah, more brutal. Absolutely. Um, Certainly, uh, fits quite nicely in with the boys with some of there the, some the stuff. Yes. Um, <laughs> and I think the other nice description we've done, uh, about Pennyworth is it is Gotham by lamplight and neon light mm. as well. It's this really nice mishmash, uh, between kind of ye oldy London town with things like Jack the Ripper, gaslighting, uh, sort of, people being hung up in cages and mm-hmm. public executions mm-hmm. along with the the swinging 60s soho bathed in neon and uh yeah really interesting tone to the show for sure absolutely yes i will be taking my royalty check for uh coining that phrase mm-hmm. absolutely um, yeah. well, <laughs> and of course i should have said yes our one and only chris jones did introduce 
that phrase. Gotham by Lamplight. Yes, he did. And his reward for that is getting to introduce this podcast. Chris, let's get on to the boys. Yes. Very quickly, gentlemen, I think it's about time, as you said, to jump into the episode. So, first of all, we always go through the episode details. So, Derek, do you want to take us away with who it was written and directed by? Absolutely. The episode was written by Craig Rosenberg. Uh, He wrote two episodes for this season of The Boys. And he probably got his connection to get onto this show because he wrote four episodes of Preacher, which comes from the same creators, as we know. So, uh, probably got a little bit of a start uh, over on Preacher and then moved over here onto The Boys. So, uh, great to have him on board for this kind of big episode this is like a massive episode really. yeah massive huge and yeah you can see definitely some of the the um the preacher subtext coming through but we'll get onto that later maybe yeah, yeah and do you think he had to learn dolphin for this one <laughs> i kind of think those noises were taken from flipper from the 60s to be honest i'm oh, not dear. sure whether they have re-recorded dialogue don't get into and, the water with flipper i know i wonder if that's the actual gag that the the exact same noises are being used <laughs> and that's what flipper was trying to say back in the 60s anyway uh, the episode was directed by fred toy uh, he's worked with carl urban a couple of years ago back on his tv show uh, almost human um directed a couple of episodes of the good wife westworld and person of interest but interestingly he's directing two episodes of the tv version of snowpiercer which is coming out on netflix later on uh, next year i think it is uh, it was originally made um, about a year ago the the first season of the show and it got approved for a second season already so actually there are two seasons being produced for netflix so uh, a guaranteed second season on a netflix show seems to be at odds with their their usual model so uh, <laughs> so kind of nice to hear that coming um if you haven't seen the movie snowpiercer uh, it features chris chris evans and it's a really good fun interesting action movie check it out um, i think it's also available on netflix now as well yeah it's a kind of a really intriguing sci-fi and mm-hmm. i reckon actually uh, a tv show could work really well with this yeah. I, I i enjoyed the film for sure yeah uh, but because it's an hour and a half it's like there's so many different kind of things going on yeah. that you could imagine along that train absolutely it's also based on a great source material of a French comic. So there's a good few issues on that one. So if you're interested and you enjoy the Netflix show, make sure you check out the comic book and the source material. It's weird though, isn't it? Because a lot of sci-fi has this concept of this moving vehicle. You know, we saw, um, well, there's the Snowpiercer. There's also Mortal Engines. And of course, Christopher Priest has got another one as well, where again, a bit like Mortal Engines, you have this city sort of on wheels moving mm-hmm. ahead of, of darkness constantly. So right. interesting concept. Yeah. Yeah. Constantly moving, unable to get off and get away. <laughs> Speaking of interesting concepts, John, do you want to tell us what they gave you this episode with your synopsis? Sure. As Billy Butcher persuades CIA Deputy Director to take the threat of soups entering the Defense Department seriously, Vought International used Queen Maeve and Homelander to deal with a hostage situation on a plane over international waters to demonstrate their value in the defense of the USA. However, some of the seven fare less well, as Kevin, aka The Deep, deals with fishy insecurities that lead to a daring breakout from Oceanland that ends in a dirty dolphin eating tarmac and the potential loss of sponsorship for Kevin. Meanwhile, the boys act on Popclaw's intel, and they delve further into A-Train's involvement in the illicit exchange of Compound V. In Chinatown, they track down where he supplies the substance, but also come across the female. Held captive and jacked up on Compound V, her butcher skills are all too evident, as Frenchie opens her cell. With her escape, Frenchie, butcher, and mother's milk race against A-Train to find the female. 
while Huey Campbell is ordered on a date with Starlight by Butcher in order to clone her mobile phone and gain more intel on the soups and vort. With the female sedated and rescued from the grasp of A-Train, the airline hostage situation high above the Atlantic turns from a happy ever after rescue to a botched rescue. Homelander and a reluctant Queen Maeve abandon the passengers to their grim fate after their intervention goes badly wrong, and the plane crashes into the sea. In the aftermath, Homelander covers up the true events, turning the tragedy into a win for Vought International and the need for superheroes in the armed forces. And what a rousing speech it was. So before we get into that, uh, just to give you guys, if you're just joining us for episode four, we usually each choose our top moments of interest throughout the episode, the protagonist section, which we have lovingly dubbed the boys moment, the seventh moment, which is obviously our antagonists and bad guys, and any other sprinkling of outstanding moments that we found in the episodes. So, gentlemen, I think it's about time we kick in to our moments. So, Derek, why don't you kick us off with your boys moment? Sure, absolutely. Um, Our first boys moment, really, or my first boys moment, is the date for Huey and Annie, because uh, I do think it's quite interesting. This is something that everybody's been kind of warning about, that the Seven are bad people underneath everything. And I'm kind of intrigued by this whole thing that goes on like, with between Huey and Annie, because Annie seems like a lovely character. She seems, you know, beyond reproach. She seems absolutely lovely. I love the relationship they're building up between Huey and Annie. But I, what I think is interesting in the show is that actually she is lying the entire time during their, during their, uh, their meeting, during their conversations. Everything that she says is basically a lie. I'm not even too sure whether that whole conversation about was her first kiss at her senior dance when she was 18. I'm not sure whether even that was true because she recounts it all, recounts it all later on, uh, during these conversations. You know, we hear that Annie constantly hides her true self from everybody because in the past, when she's revealed what she's like and revealed that she can beat up anybody, given the opportunity effectively she's been uh, dumped by people guys haven't called her back they've talked about her behind her back and nobody likes her to be her so she has decided to protect herself by creating this persona and not tell Huey anything like I love how it twists in that conversation where Annie's saying to him you know we've been here all night and I'm, I'm not too sure whether I get your vibe I'm noticing something wrong about you and he goes well what you're noticing about me is that I don't trust anything you're saying and then that's when she reveals who she really is, effectively, that she is this person that could have destroyed him in in, uh, in bowling in about three rounds. She could easily beat him up and he doesn't really care, which I like. But we also have this wonderful little reveal that, you know, he's still going through the PTSD that happened after the death of his of his girlfriend. We see the ghost of Robin appear in the room with him and that does encourage him to carry out the mission that he's been sent there for. It's not just a date with Annie. He's there to clone her phone and turn on the speaker, effectively, so they will have access to inside the terror of the seven so they'll get all the information out of that so i really like these scenes between these characters I really like this this setup yeah it, it's interesting isn't it because um i think in in the same way that starlight's not being herself there as you were saying mm-hmm. then you know huey as well I, I i was kind of there going you know because huey and starlight have had that moment where um he hasn't known who she actually is and she's hidden who she actually is, that there's a connection there. And now falling in love may be a little too strong because obviously you have, the, as you say, that PTSD moment. Um, but does he have a, a soft spot, uh, a sensitive side of friendship kind yeah. of element to um, Huey? Or based on the last episode, you know, you have that conversation with Mother's Milk where he says at any price. Um, and is this just an act? And obviously the PTSD, at least... 
prompts him to then clone her phone yeah. uh, when she goes off to the loo. Uh, and it, it's just one of those things where, um, you know, is he as much in an act as she is? Mm-hmm. Or is there something genuine from his side between him and Starlight? And now that you mentioned that she is sort of hiding her skills here, mm. for me, having not read the comics, I'm just in really, really intrigued to know is she also a bit of a, a placement by Vought in the sense that I get the sense that Billy Butcher and that group have been involved dealing with in some way, like with the Mallory files, with superheroes and, and the soups of Vought before. And so what I'm wondering is, is this whole thing of Billy Butcher bringing the boys back together again and recruiting uh, Huey Campbell is that something that is totally at this moment unknown to Vought? Or is this something, you know, or is she just being kept as a watch on him because of what happened with A-Train? I mean, it would seem excessive, but I don't know. I'm just, this whole relationship just doesn't feel quite right. Mm. Yeah, there is a d- distinct, they've diverged from the comics on this one. So I, for part of me, that I'm really interested to see how they're going to play this story. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's definitely an interesting play and I, I'm, I'm wanting to see how it plays out because there is that question that at the beginning of this, both of them are lying to each other. Mm-hmm. Why Huey's there, why she, what she, she was lying in more terms of hiding herself. I do like that reveal though, where she just turns around and like destroys the, the pins mm-hmm. in one fell swoop and we get the story of her knocking out the guy um of who squared up to her previous uh, first kiss yeah um so i do like that because it does again show the human element of starlight mm-hmm. um yeah the the ghost scene is interesting though mm-hmm. huey's uh the ptsd coming back is really interesting he, he's there and he's just seeing robin um, as a ghost, mm-hmm. kind of judging him. I just love it. It's, yeah. inter- <laughs> it's interesting to see how that how that will continue to play out. Yeah, you can almost hear uh, her tapping her foot on the floor, going, "Just get on with it, will you? You're not yeah. supposed to be here on a lovely date with this girl. You're supposed to be tapping her phone, right? Just get on with it. It's really interesting. I love I love the way it's done. And the the initial instance of the PTSD, what I thought was interesting, the way it was shown, was actually. On, on another alley, just a couple of rows up, it's someone dropping a ball really heavily and you hear the smash and bang effectively. And that suddenly wakes him to go, oh my God, in, in this really scared moment, maybe somewhere as noisy as a bowling alley is not where you want to be going if you're scared of loud noises like he is at the moment. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to see how that will continue to play out. Mm. Will he overcome it or will it kind of, to a degree, cripple him in the next bout of action they have to go through? Yeah. And I think to answer your question, John, I do think... In any other circumstance, if these two had met the way they've met, everything that they've gone through, they absolutely would be going into a relationship. But Huey feels so bad about everything that's gone that he's had to go through and the death of Robin. And the whole reason he's here is to get more information and effectively pay back for the death of Robin, that he can't entertain the idea of having a relationship. But absolutely, he would have a relationship with her in in any other circumstance. Absolutely. And and moving forward, someone from those two has to make a decision as to whether they continue on their course of action mm. uh as with Huey with the boys or you know 
defends Vought International or defends sort of just nice people. Yeah, I certainly don't think Annie's going to be too happy if she finds out what Huey's done, <laughs> to be honest. So no. you might want to keep that quiet or run away or something. But talking about relationships, John, do you want to take us on with your boys moment? I do. Just quickly, though, as well, there is a really nice phrase that Huey um, says when he's told to basically go out uh, with with Starlight. He goes, I normally don't go out after a gory massacre uh, <laughs> following the events with the female. So yeah, I, mm-hmm. I quite like that. Yeah. Um, yes, my protagonist moment, the boys, is, you know, we find out Butcher uh, had a, a wife here. We see a fairly, you know, really nice scene of him and his wife in bed cuddling. But then, you know, it pans back uh, to reality and to the present where he's lonely uh, in his bed and uh, even with the dog bed there as well next to the bed so you know butcher has had other things in his life um in in the flashback uh, much closer had those personal moments and now, obviously, that has been stripped. And at least for me, I'm suspecting that that is part of the reason for his pathological hatred for uh, soups. Uh, and I, I like the fact that, you know, it, it all seems fairly bleak for um, for Butcher here. You know, he's got his microwavable breakfast wrap, uh, which seems fairly dire. Oh, yeah. he's, and then... Uh, you know, to really cap that off, he seems to be watching old CCTV footage uh, of his wife in a park. Um, it's dated back to uh, 2012. So, yeah, things are are not good for, for Billy Butcher mm-hmm. uh, in the confines of his own apartment. And when the door is closed, uh, it seems like he is also dealing with um, a loss uh many years after the fact and and probably how that loss came about. But I'm really interested to see more flashbacks around this. You know, what is his motivation? It seems really uh, interesting because in some ways, is that why he connects with Huey Campbell? He sees uh, maybe a kindred spirit there because Huey just lost his girlfriend, Robin. So I I really like this touch. um, And I like that, you know, you, you get the sense from that, sweet conversation butcher and his wife are in bed where they're talking about the spice girls and going to a spice girls concert and um you know that kind of plays out uh later on in this episode as well which i think is is really nice where you know um you know, I like the Spice Girls. I've got their first album. Absolutely loved it. And I and absolutely, second. And, and second, <laughs> and I absolutely concur with Billy Butcher. Like the boys, they are so much better together. Uh, they're awesome separately. Uh, maybe not so good. In fact, dare I say it, apart from maybe Sporty Spice with, with her first album, the albums that came out from the Spice Girls individually did make my ears bleed. <laughs> hey, hey, he likes Jerry, okay? Leave, <laughs> leave Ginger Spice out of this. Oh, he hates Jerry. Everybody hates Jerry. She, just, she was just the first to get out there, so she got three albums out before everybody realized she was rotten. <laughs> That's all. Welcome to your podcast on where we review the Spice Girls discography. <laughs> you know, I usually try not to say too many bad things about anybody on this podcast, but uh, I will... I will definitely say i'm on the side of billy butcher um i would have to cut off my own ears if i was to go and see one of their <laughs> reunion tours no matter whether it's their last ever or their first ever one not for me man <laughs> but speaking of cutting off your ears we do get introduced in my 
boys moment in a fantastic female who could actually pull your ears off. Probably. Yes. Yes, I am talking about the female of the species and how she is more deadly than the male. I swear this is probably the last time I'm going to make that joke. <laughs> it's uh, not. Probably, no, it's but not. I don't think I so. I think it's probably going to be in your wrap-up as well, Chris. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> um, no, this is my moment. This, I, I, I love this whole kind of detective part where the, the, the boys are literally tracking a train to the noodle shop and they come across... I wasn't expect, wasn't sure what they were going to come across. Like, I was not expecting them to come across the female in the cage. Mm-hmm. Um, so the female is a character from the comic books. Yes. She's been part of the source material for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, this potentially is a divergence, but we won't know yeah. from the overall source material. But this introduction is brilliant because you get that connection of Frenchie and the female being cemented initially straight away. Mm-hmm. Um, you get also the sense and visual spectacle of how powerful and terrifying the female is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when she, when the boys jump into and lock themselves in the room and she goes, after the rest of the the Chinese men, it is brilliant. Yeah, mm-hmm. gut wrenching, but brilliant. Well, yeah, and eye wrenching, and uh, face wrenching, and <laughs> everything wrenching. It was like um, it was like WWE on steroids, literally on Compound V. Because I, I love the fact that you know you've got the thumbs in the eyes moment where she literally <laughs> like buries them. And then sort of just like turns his head 180 degrees. This was like Hulk Hogan, The Undertaker, Macho Man, Randy Savage, all completely high. Um, and it was a great kind of scene, just like that kind of cat-like pounce. Mm-hmm. Um, and just everything by hands. Cause I was trying, you know, it's like she got like spiky fingernails or something, but it's just like the sheer strength. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, to have the guy like top himself effectively because, um yeah, he, he doesn't want to be mauled like that. Then well, uh, he knows he's done. Yeah. yeah it's like, exactly. it's like he's in the room with the xenomorph alien, you know, it's like, it's like a scene you'd see in predator movies, you know, as the alien creatures coming towards you to cut you in half, you shoot yourself because you don't want to go through the pain of what they'd put you through, you know, um, really, really good scene. And really, you know, the speed that she has, you know, we learned last episode about what compound V can do to some other characters uh, last week with Popclaw. And this episode, we see compound V once again being used in the brutality that can be inside of the female. Um, it is really interesting. I know, Chris, you did say it, but just to underline, we are calling her the female because that's the character name in the comic book. It's only said in the, in the episode once, uh, Billy Butcher calls her, uh, just says the female, um, but that's not her name in the show, but we're calling it that because of the comic books. Uh, we don't know her name yet, so uh, may get a name in a, in a future episode. I don't think so. I hope they don't because we've <laughs> never, they've never named her anything other than the female, and that's the best part of it. She is the deadliest member of the boys. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it's the best part of that. There's so much history with that character that we don't know what they'll, how they'll diverge from it or what they'll do. But just the, the, yeah, they're, they're portraying her in the perfect way, Excellent. which is this silent, stoic, violent nightmare. Mm-hmm. That can, as yeah. you said, the guy tops himself yeah. because she's coming right for him. Yeah. Um, 
So I just, I loved this introduction. And just, um, just one that it really reminded me of, I don't know whether you guys have seen it in a while, and I think both of you have seen the movie, uh, Battle Royale. Um, the, the opening of that film has the character who's won the Battle Royale with all of her other school kids. It's a, it's a movie about school kids being put in an island. They all have to kill each other and whoever wins is victorious and gets to leave the island effectively. Um, but the opening scene of that has a child covered in blood, looking like a very cute, normal school child but you realize she's killed hundreds of people and that's why she's covered in so much muck and dirt effectively and that's the same kind of style the same visual image that i saw in this character the female that she looks like she's sitting there watching k-pop she's watching just normal pop music on tv she gets continually drawn back to that k-pop music over and over again this really cutesy candy floss boy band music from korea there's j-pop as well japanese pop music as well similar types of music just general fluff but she's brought back to that and it really reminded me of that that image from battle royale of just a cute school child that's killed hundreds of people <laughs> that's what it really feels like so i'm intrigued about how, how what more we're going to see about the female on the show yeah i i'm hoping they go they, they they do dive into kind of more of it so boys i think that brings us to the end of our boys moments mm-hmm. let's bring it into our seven moments derek do you want to take this away yeah i think this one we can all probably jump in on because it's quite a central point of the episode really it's this this transoceanic flight 37 um this whole concept effectively where madeline stillwell has decided that she's going to prove to the government that sh- that they need the seven to be working for the army effectively um she gets a bit of a tip off and heads up on a plane that's just been uh just been captured by terrorists uh in international waters so they're able to go in and intercept it and if if it succeeds then definitely all the armies of the world are going to want to have the boys on their side the american army anyway is going to want the boys on their side to go into war zones and and take care of everything um, doesn't really go to plan, but I, do, but I do want to call it the initial part of it because it speaks again to what we were talking about the last couple of episodes. As Homelander and Queen Maeve arrive, they absolutely destroy the terrorists. They don't just incapacitate them. They don't take off an arm or, you know, stop them, uh, punch them out or anything like that that you'd see in a normal movie or a normal TV show. Homelander absolutely destroys the, the four guys that are there. Uh, Maeve gets gets one of them. I think she knock, she knocks him out, but he destroys them. He is violent as hell with the guys. And what I find interesting with that is that's something you don't see in any other superhero movie. And you still see everybody on the plane cheering. You still see everybody on the plane really happy that they've been saved and not really caring about how violently they've been saved. Yeah. Like he cuts one guy in half with his laser beams. From no, his big eyes. time. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, as, he got, as the guy melts to the ground. Um, but by doing that, he effectively kills the plane as well. This is because the last of the terrorists that are on board shoots the, uh, the pilot in the head. Um, the instant reaction from Homelander is to cut through him with his laser eyes and that cuts through uh, the engine and the, and the control system for the plane as well. So. But that's it. I mean, for me, these scenes here on the, on the flight and, and the hostage rescue and everything that transpires, I mean, is exactly why I love to hate Homelander. Mm-hmm. And I think he is absolutely for me just an amazing or one of the amazing standouts of, of this show. I mean, you know, he, I, I just love how he kind of moves from, you know, dispatching of all, all, all these hostages, which, you know, in fairness, the passengers are like, woohoo, they're, they're whooping away, uh, with all of that. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, as it starts to go wrong, he's like, calm down, we'll, we'll all be safe. And he is, and then he's kind of 
out the side of his mouth going to Queen May, come on, let's get out of here. We've got to leave. You know, he's exp- explaining they're finished. It's, it's gone wrong. It's gone badly wrong. And we need to pretend that we've never been here. Whilst at the same time, he's calming down all the passengers saying, you'll be safe and all this kind of thing. And then you have that dawning of the passengers that actually it has gone badly wrong. And these guys, um, Homelander and Queen Maeve mm-hmm. are about to jump ship um, and save themselves. Yeah. And it's then that nasty anger, you know, as his eyes glow red and he threatens all the passengers. Um, you know, he's just literally gone from saying, it's all about you, even yeah. though he's doing the saving, to, you know, effectively stay back, everyone, uh, otherwise I'm going to lazy you. Um, and it's just fantastically well done as far as i'm concerned um i i really really like it yeah um and um because then he's this consummate politician right at the end you know of of this episode where he turns this disaster for vote into an absolute win for them mm-hmm. um, by saying that they never got there and if they had been allowed to get there, this would never have happened. I mean, it's the sheer audacity uh, of Homelander and it's just, you know, it plays so well to the sheer audacity of what we see from politicians at the moment. And uh, like, so it's, it's in part funny, it's shocking, it's bloody, it's violent. Um, it's, it's a little slapstick sometimes. I, I think him... Saying to Queen Maeve, let's get out. And then, no, you're safe. Don't worry. Don't panic. It's just mm. really nicely done. Like he moves between all these different things so, so well. And um, so I thought this was, um, yeah, whilst tragic, it was a fantastic, um, arc within this episode for sure. Yeah, definitely. He certainly proved to that comment that he made to, uh, to Madeline Stillwell a couple of episodes ago where he says, I don't need anybody to throw me lines to promote the fact that we should be in the army. I'm able to do that myself. You know, you see her looking on when he's on TV and going from this shocked, Oh God, this, this could ruin our company to that kind of proud moment almost where she's saying, look how he's turned this around as he gets all the people watching on on his side, chanting Homelander, Homelander, when he's the one that let them all die, and in fact, yeah, yeah. kills them all by destroying the plane, effectively, by destroying the controls on the plane, you know? Um, so it is it is a really interesting arc, you're absolutely right. I, I love this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know that sounds terrible when you think about the blood and the gore and the, the death, but this, this scene is a pivotal moment in the comic books, but it's also a pivotal moment here. Mm-hmm. It's a slight difference, um, which I probably won't go into just yet, but the the just seeing this brought me back to when you read this for the first when I read this for the first time mm-hmm. and you're you're disgusted you're appalled yeah but there it's like kind of I know there's that term car crash TV um it's very much like that right. where you're just like oh my god this is happening and this is the way it's being done and like the when you see him like you said when he kind of flares up his beams to tell people to stay back. Yeah. And just watches the plane as it goes down. Mm-hmm. Um is crazy. And yeah, like people are cheering for him as he eviscerates people. Yeah. yeah. Um and then as again that slapstick moment, John, that you talked about where he he says uh kind of to the little girl, Oh everything's gonna be fine. And you're like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's it's just that it's just crazy. Yeah. 
but seeing him then, as you said, moving on to that kind of scene on the beach where he just pretends to well up. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. he, he, yeah. as you said, Stillwell's like a proud mama there. Yeah. Because she's created this monster who is a PR machine. He is amazing. Absolutely. <laughs> is able to turn around on the fly. Mm hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I have to say Maeve as well, Queen Maeve throughout these scenes is so interesting to watch because yeah. we've seen her react to the kind of things he said in the past and not let her, not let him see her react. This time she is absolutely horrified at this idea that he would leave every single person behind, including women and children. And he has the rationale that if he takes anybody, if he saves anybody, then they've already made this decision to only save one or two people and they will just tell everybody that that it's their fault, effectively. So, but Maeve can't see the rationale to that. You see her on the beach, even with the cameras and the and the microphones in the face of Homelander, and them asking for a word from her. She doesn't really say anything. No. She just stands watching out at the ocean and seeing all of the uh, rubbish and debris from the plane in the ocean, just staring about what they created and what they've done. She can't switch it off as quickly as Homelander can, and it does spark and a little bit of a guess. For the rest of the season, I was wondering how the hell somebody like Homelander ever gets taken down. Even the boys could have trouble with someone like him. And I kind of get the feeling that Maeve is being twisted by him to go after him herself. So I'm kind of get the feeling they're going to start pitting Queen Maeve versus Homelander for the rest of the season. Which is never a good matchup. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because you're right. Like Queen Maeve is really, uh, you know, looks uncomfortable as she's staring out across the sea and all the debris and hearing Homelander. Um, and, you know, I think you are, her, her actions on the, on the plane, you know, are supposed to bring sympathy or you feel this sympathy for her. But at the end of the day, she also does leave. Um, and she, she gets in to Homelander's arms to escape that fate that all yeah. the others do. So I agree. I'm, it's not that she's happy with that decision, but it, it, it's that kind of, it's that comment on people that maybe don't take actions, but stand by and watch it happen mm-hmm. even if they protest about having done it and i think that's really really interesting because i just think that can you imagine if the first three episodes didn't really give you that hint that homelander was that bad because you kind of th- this whole thing you kind of go okay we kind of get he has the capacity to do bad things we've seen him punch that sniper in 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 the skyscraper you know he he's certainly got that twisted malevolent streak you you've seen that even amongst the seven with him threatening the deep Mm. and and taking down the the mayor's plane in episode one so you know that there's some dubious morals there so you even though this is still a shock you imagine the shock if that had been buried a little further right. until this time, uh, where you're just like going, what? Um, because I, I mean, it, it still is a shock, but I, I just think, what about the shock? You know, the, the reaction, the shock for me would have just been off the charts, I think, <laughs> uh, on that. Yeah. But uh, I, I thought this was, yeah, I, I thought this was just fantastic. I am wondering though, you know, we are presuming that everyone's dead and I'm not sure that anyone could probably survive that. Mm. But, you know, maybe one person will or, you know, will they see the laser scarring across the dashboard, um, in the cockpit? Mm. You know, what, 
even though they're trying to cover this up, ultimately yeah. is stuff going to leak out, whether it's through some kind of investigation or some kind of, yeah, Maeve, Queen Maeve sort of turning on him. Yeah, yeah. I, I think what we'll probably get is similar to what happened with uh, the councilman, the mayor's uh, plane. Mm-hmm. The deep will cover up part of it. Um, he managed to get rid of the two little burns on the engine and the mayor's, so most likely he'll do something with the wreckage there. Mm, maybe, but again, the deep is being turned against uh, Homelander as well, so maybe he'll also be turned against industries too so yeah definitely some interesting stuff in here but yeah you can't have a situation where your main characters are covering up everything bad that's happened they're definitely going to be found out at some point in the future there's definitely going to be something happening um that wasn't the only shocking moment of the episode who wants to go first on this one because i could see your notes guys i know i know you both have something very (laughs) similar here uh chris or john which one are you going to go first John, you open up this because that's, we'll follow how the, the episode structure goes. Yes, this is kind of starting from the beginning with the deep, also known as Kevin. Um, <laughs> you know, this whole through line was hugely hilarious. Um, for me, uh, I just thought it was so good. Um, you know, the deep going to, to therapy. Um, and you know, you, you, you hear about his love of dolphins. Um, and, they're hilarious. You know, that, that, you know, he wants to save them because they're slaughtered in Japan. Mm. I, I love the fact that he says that they have regional accents. So, I, I mean, all I've got is this idea that Flipper's going, e by ek lad, you know, or, uh, do you fancy a brew or, you know, what the apples and pears kind of thing. I just, I'm just imagining dolphins with regional accents. Um, and I thought that was just, so so good um and you know but he you know he talks about effectively being bullied and taunted by a train with mm-hmm. the blow up dolphin with the the lipstick around the blowhole blow up dolphin that's yes yeah that's and um i i'm still not entirely sure whether the therapist was also trying to like hold back the laughter whilst the deep was talking about it because th- there was something slightly insincere uh about um you know when he the deep's kind of saying how he he feels like he's a diversity hire and a joke <laughs> um and the therapist comes in with but kevin where would that carnival cruise ship be without you um i presume at the bottom of the ocean but it's got all i've got is this idea that the deep rescued the love boat or something. Basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just you know it's just really, really funny. But, you know, he's obviously dealing with a lot of insecurities. Um, again, it, so many things were racing through my mind seeing this. I thought it was so well portrayed. Um, you know, I, I do. I, I have that. I'm a strong, confident fish. You know, uh-huh. he's got the tape <laughs> under the pillow at night or underneath <laughs> his coral uh, at mm. night. It's just g- going around. I'm a strong, confident fish. Absolutely. I love what he goes to battle and still well with his new plan. You know, <laughs> he's talking about <laughs> that he wants to do something new with his, with his uh, renown, with his uh, abilities. And effectively, he wants to go against the thing he's been promoting for a couple of years. Exactly. And she's right in the middle of this crisis that's been going on with the rest of the seven. And is like, all right, if you haven't, if, if it only takes a minute, then you can come in and say it. And he's like, I want to save the dolphins. She's just ushers him out of the room going, <laughs> um, Kevin, just stick to what, what it is you're good at. Okay. <laughs> and then closes the door in his face. Just, just, you know, again, the deep started off as 
an awful character. I didn't want to see anything of him, but he just keeps getting kicked worse and worse as the episodes are going on. Yeah, I think he definitely gets the wrong uh, end of the the stick when uh, Madeline Stilwell goes, you know, play to your strengths mm-hmm. uh, to, to Gavin. And he goes, yes, I will. I've just been told I should seize the moment and mm-hmm. all that. But I think over to Chris, Q, dolphin dirt. Or I should say, Dolphins are dirty. <laughs> oh, uh, I, I, this is perhaps my favorite scene in this episode yeah. just because it's your brain is filling in the blanks of what the, the dolphin is saying to the deep. And he's just like, and then at the very end, he's agreeing to it. <laughs> he's just like, let's just get out of here and then we'll figure out everything. Like he, it's, he, he comes around. And I'm like, how dirty is this fish? How dirty is or this mammal? He says, I'll touch it, right? But just, we need to talk about this later. But it's yeah. kind of, um, yeah, you're, you're kind of going, I, I understand he had a plan to, to free some dolphins from, from this, but it feels like he chose a very special dolphin to him. <laughs> and then just that, just that the one, <laughs> the cops coming in, doing it. And then we get this spectacular. <laughs> moment of the slamming on the brakes and the dolphin just shooting like a rocket it's just it's glorious because it's slowed down Mm -hmm. and you get to see the look on his face and the look of the dolphin's face (laughs) as it slowly goes through the windshield and lands on the ground and i'm like okay so they're gonna pick it up and no no and then it just gets even better Derek, take this one because I'm just gonna. I can't. <laughs> Genuinely, was not expecting no, the truck to not come at all. afterwards. Um, yeah, certainly the slow motion uh, scene as it goes through the window to the sounds of the Spice Girls. If you want to be my lover, just after that conversation <laughs> that has, has been had between the dolphin and the deep. Yeah. Um, Spice yeah, up your life. Yes, absolutely. Um, that is that is a fantastically shocking scene, and to cut back to the deep just realizing he's jeopardized everything for this moment and uh the cops have just made him effectively kill the dolphin he was trying to save uh another sad moment for the deep in this episode but yeah i couldn't stop watching this scene it's uh, so well put together absolutely it's, it's just the, as you said it's just the music it's the the animation and it's the truck mm-hmm. because i could see him grabbing quickly grabbing the dolphin <laughs> and running away with mm-hmm. this or like jumping really high but just that ending is a, literally i all i had in my notes was well they've got more tuna <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely i was thinking like fish tartare or something um fish tacos <laughs> yeah <a> ceviche <laughs> or something <laughs> It was just, it was just brilliant. And as you said, yeah, he's thrown it all away for this moment. So I'm dying to see episode five to see where it gets to and what. But it's funny that it calls back to the therapy scene mm-hmm. because the rest of the seven putting in the inflatable dolphin with the lipstick mm-hmm. and then him actually admitting to it yep. to a degree. Basically, yep. I was just like, <laughs> oh, brilliant. I think as well, I mean, Chase Crawford, who plays the deep, just absolutely nailed this pardon the pun um, because uh, I love the fact that he was just spraying the water over the dolphin (laughs) with the pump spray and just that conversation you know where 
it starts off like innocuous with i like you too um now's not the time to i'll touch it then will you shut up (laughs) and then yeah you have the fly i know it's not technically a fish but you have the flying fish uh through the air and you're just like i did not expect to see that Mm -hmm. in this show absolutely um so for me this is just um this is how you write a script that you can have um a spice girls through thread Mm -hmm. (laughs) through the entire episode linked from a sweet moment of billy butcher and his presumably dead wife through to a dirty randy dolphin chatting up his rescuer um to like the shocking revelation that these superheroes will let you know an entire plane of passengers and innocent people crash into the ocean mm-hmm. and you're like going you know s- some shows require an entire 22 episodes to do anything yeah. and this is just like just so good <laughs> so intense so good mm-hmm. yeah definitely really really good uh that's it i think for the seven moment the antagonist moment for the episode uh got a couple of other outstanding moments um just my one we already talked about this this spice girl speech john you mentioned butcher spice girl speech i just really liked how he tied the whole thing together into this conversation with um frenchie and uh mother's milk who were fighting over uh effectively what happened and what broke up the group because we hear that Frenchie has a tendency to not follow orders. And that is what's annoying Mother's Milk so much is that the last time this happened, the last time they all were working together, he ignored orders, which was to follow Lamplighter. And Lamplighter went over and killed their former boss's grandkids. Um, so I'll be intrigued to know a bit more about that. But it did seem to almost separate the group until Billy Butcher went back to the Spice Girls, the source of all that is good, apparently, uh, and, and taught them that uh, they are like the Spice Girls. Together, they are something good. Apart, they're absolutely useless. Um, but I like that it's also taken into the female as well, that Frenchie goes to the female effectively saying she could also be a Spice Girl. That's how she can, he convinces the other guys to go and talk to her. Maybe she could be another one of the Spice Girls. I think the last line you hear with Billy about her is he throws the grenade going, she's not a Spice Girl. <laughs> just, yeah. uh, so it is, it is used all the way throughout the episode. I love just those lines about what sporty spice up to. Nobody has any idea. Posh is making clothes for anorexics. Baby Spice can't even get a, a, any a story on page six of the Daily Mail of all things. Um, scaries up to her eyeballs and lawsuits. And Ginger's released three albums, all that will make your ears bleed. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely Brilliant. great stuff. And um, I'd also like on this just yeah the whole lamplighter aspect um that mother's milk really it blames frenchie for the lamplighter going off and effectively killing mallory's grandchildren so again it's another connection through here from the last episode yeah. a little bit more um to that backstory just yeah. slowly being leaked out through the episodes which is really nice actually and we're guessing this is the reason why lamplighter is no longer a member of the seven that he was made to forcibly retire so that starlight took over from him, is because he murdered some children yeah exactly so that could very well be the reason why he's not in the team now no comment <laughs> I think speaking of French as well, I think my other moment is I really kind of, although in, in some ways it looks like it didn't work, I liked that moment of bonding between Frenchie and the female in the tech shop, uh, where, you know, he, he's, he's there talking, uh, about you know, how he was kind of 
locked up by his own father and, and restricted and effectively uh, abused as well. Mm. So I, I like that um, little moments, that little touch uh, that, you know, they have this connection, which she seems to um, kind of buy into until she's disturbed and, and sort of pelts it out of the, the shop and into the subway. Yeah. Uh, so I thought that was a nice little moment because I think it's really something that, tied nicely into his conversation with mother's milk whilst they're staking out the noodle joint which is um you know that mother's milk is always you know has got his girlfriend jetty he's not even telling her where he is um mother's milk has an issue with the fact that frenchie may have uh, a new woman each day but he's free to explore and you know it's all one big happy family you know um and i i thought this was really connected in with that a bit because i was wondering about frenchie's current girlfriend i suppose mm. she is um sherry sherry um because she does have a nice phrase where she says um like he he's there he asks her for some bit of kit that he needs the the smoke grenade uh, and she goes don't make me use that gas on you pumpkin mm-hmm. um so I, i'm just wondering is the female also going to maybe uh sort of disrupt the Frenchie and Cherie as well in this moment. Is it just simply a connection or does Frenchie harbour something else uh, that I don't know? I was wondering, was there some kind of superpower involved with uh, with the female? Because there's that moment when you see Frenchie going in and opening up the cage to let her out and, and he just kind of goes, I had a feeling, I had a feeling about her. And from that point onwards, he's able to identify where she is. He knows where to find her from then on. And I'm That's wondering true, if there's actually. something that she's drawing him towards her, you know? I also feel very bad about laughing about Frenchie's story about his father being bipolar and trying to strangle him with a, uh, with a Hello Kitty duvet last episode. Cause it sounds like he's <laughs> much more abusive than, uh, than we had thought when we laughed about that. Uh, story from him last episode well, well that's it because one of the other things that we do find out from starlight is that translucent also whilst he does have um issues around sort of personal space mm. you know he has a kid that he spends a lot of time with and he he's kind of a bit of a loner compared to the other seven because he had that sort of an early marriage early sort of child that destroyed the marriage the separation and so he's putting a lot of his effort into being um a lone parent so mm. again whilst maybe he deserved what was coming to him ultimately uh in, in uh that cell and, and with the c4 uh up his rear um again it's it's that kind of stormtrooper moment where he had this other life which no one else really saw yeah uh, because and, and we get that with the A train as well saying, you know what I have to do when he has that conversation with, uh, Popclaw where he's like, I'm contracted to be like that yeah. in front of the TV. But he seems to be, um, you know, much more connected with Popclaw. You know, he, he's trying to save her from Homelander if he finds out about the female and this compound V yeah. sort of illicit trade or whatever's going on there. So, um, I like how, you know, it's all a little, um, sort of dubious in, in terms of these other soups, uh, as well. Well, yeah, they've just completely made the whole storyline completely murky. We can't believe Billy Butcher anymore. You know, we, we now 
can kind of guess that Billy Butcher is on his own vendetta for whatever happened to his wife that we saw at the start of this episode. And he's been convincing everybody around him that the supers are all bad. When in fact, what we know right now, the only super that's definitely bad is Homelander. And, uh, maybe one other, uh, that we've, we've also seen back in episode one. Um, but a lot of the supers just seem to be, you know, acting the way they're told by a PR agent in, uh, and a marketing department in a massive organization, but not necessarily bad people. Um, so that was quite an interesting revelation, actually. Yeah, good, good no, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I really enjoyed this overall connection that they start having. Mm. Again, it comes from the source material. There's a very deep relationship there. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go into, any of your wild theories mm-hmm. for once I'm not doing the wild theories. This is interesting Good, to huh? listen to. Um I, I do want to call out the the fight with female and A Train. Mm-hmm. So she does take on A Train toe to toe. Like A Train like smashes her repeatedly very quickly yeah. against a big stone wall. That is a fantastically and- shot scene. Uh, I must yeah. say, I was really surprised at that. I'm definitely surprised that her head was still intact. Uh, I was expecting maybe one or two smacks, and that would be the end of the female in this episode, because, uh, yeah, that was a concrete wall uh, at full speed. Yeah. So. yeah. No, and it's good. It's just good to see that, because that does lead us to potentially where we will go in the remaining four episodes. Mm, maybe, yeah. yeah. It, it's going to be interesting to see how they portray that because that was always some of the interesting things seeing the boys go to toe to toe with some of these suits mm-hmm. um and how they do that um so I, i'm i'm really really interested to see where they take that Excellent. Excellent. any other notes for you chris any other moments for you my outstanding moment is very brief moment but actually calls back to what derek what you were talking about two three episodes ago belief expo mm-hmm. we see very quickly when uh, on the tv Behind where, um, Annie and Huey, when they're on their date, mm-hmm. you see the Christian superhero and talking about Belief Expo and the power of Christ and all that with special appearances by Homelander and Starlight. And we get that backstory by Starlight saying, yeah, I'm donating my appearance fee. So the rest of them are not. Yes. They're, they're taking their appearance fees. Mm-hmm. And it's just so much fun to see that call back to the shareholder stakeholder moment. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And again, Ezekiel is the other bad soup, right? So Ezekiel is the one yeah. that, that works for Capes for Christ to tell people that homosexuality is wrong, yet he's gay himself. And we saw that in yeah. the first episode. So once again, another, the other bad character. Hopefully we'll see a bit more of uh, Ezekiel in the rest of the episodes because you kind of need to set up the bad guys versus the good guys. We're talking about protagonists and antagonists and I think we're running out of people in our antagonist section because, well, now we've got Queen Maeve, we've got the Deep, who are kind of moving towards our protagonist section a bit more now, aren't they? <laughs> uh, well, we still have A-Train. Yes, yes. but And Black Noir, who barely's been in it. But we're starting to feel very sorry yeah. for, um, for A-Train as well. You know, there's a couple of things. You know, I'm feeling sorry for A-Train with his, with his, with his girlfriend. You know, the whole conversation they went through that he is totally in oh, love with her, but has to portray this no, character. play is going to play. As well, so, you know. Um, so that's good. But there was... I could, that moment alone... Yeah. I, he's just, it's, I hate the A train because he, that's that type of man who, right. no honey, I still love you. I've just gone and done all these horrible things, but man, I still love you. And it's just that constant where he, he's only doing that now yeah, because she knows yeah. about compound V <laughs> and could, could like yeah. destroy him. 
But th- that's it. In that moment, he was acting so creepy. I actually did think he was going to kill her. Right. Um, yep. I, I yep. thought it was just going to be kill, you know, get the PR people to, to clear it up, you know, make it out as though, again, he just ran through her uh, or something like that. Because he's come across as a bit of a doofus, really. Um, and, you know, he's got his public persona and his private personas. It's just a do arrogant doofus, really. Mm-hmm. But in that moment, whatever he's doing with this compound V, and there's the suggestion, you know, it comes from Ezekiel because of the package found at the the place where the female was being held captive. Oh, and right. Mother's Milk links it back to Ezekiel's, um, th- this organization that then is in the Believe Expo. Uh, so I, I think that's really kind of interesting. Mm. But just coming back to a train yeah i really did think for that moment um it was almost like you got a glimpse into the deep uh center of his soul and it wasn't nice at all he's not just kind of stupid mm-hmm. uh, and a bit jockey um and so on he you know i really did think he was going to end popclaw because he's right she is the only one that could possibly have given away this this whole location. Yeah. Uh, and he, in that sense, he's pretty smart as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, A-Train, I think, has got a lot uh, of explaining to do mm, interesting. still. Interesting. Uh, which is good. Yeah, so we'll see how all that goes in, the, in episode five. But, gentlemen, I think that wraps up our other outstanding moments. Any notes on this episode? Um, I've just got one, and it's more just because the line tickled me i really enjoyed billy butcher's uh sort of delivery of it or carl urban um and maybe it's a slight play on his wandering accent as well but mm-hmm. there, there is that moment where he's passing himself off as an nypd detective uh, after the lady in the makeup shop has been killed by the female mm-hmm. she's the one doing the nails and as he comes in, you know, he, he kind of goes, what's going on here kind of thing. And the policeman just goes, what's with the accent? And it's just his response where he goes, what's up with yours? You know, <laughs> and it's just, it's just classic. It's like, it's, I just wasn't expecting it. And it just made me giggle. And I, again, I think it's just the, that kind of interaction, uh, really is good fun. It seems um, really aggressive then as well. Yeah. He's always asked this bloody question. What's wrong with your accent? He's yeah. like, I'm not taking it anymore. What's wrong with your accent? Yours is different from mine as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, there are some really good lines in here. I mean, I think with, um, the deputy director as well. He talks about, you know, as soon as the people find out that the soups are juice junkies, you know, no one's going to want them on the defense department. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, the, the fatal Cunninglingus section, um, as well that he brings up with Popclaw just as he threatens her, um, is, yeah, <laughs> just brings you, the memories back to obviously the the head squash and um yeah yeah Zenya on the top remember her yeah exactly uh-huh. golden eye exactly. Yeah. exactly exactly oh, i think dear. it's time for chris's corner chris what have you got for us this episode welcome to chris's corner da, 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 da. i was trying a new theme song if anyone has a good theme song for chris's corner please let me know but no, that's perfect chris i think it's almost like 
that kind of old 70s kind of like Chris's Corner. Da, 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 da. Anyway, welcome to Chris's <laughs> Corner, the podcast within a podcast. Today, I'm going to talk to you about the female and the deep. How they go together? Well, they don't. I just like talking about them. First of all, uh, I'm not going to get too much into the female, but uh, she is directly from the comic book. She's one of the boys. She's the most deadly. She... um actually is came in very early on in the comics uh and the title comes directly from that arc where we are introduced to her the female of the species was the name of those uh comic books it's around issue 38 where we do get her origin um i'm not going to as i said i'm not going to go into that because i'm not sure what they're going to do and how it will differ um, because I feel we will get an, a somewhat of an origin for her in this season. Uh, if we don't, towards the end on episode eight, I will do a Chris's Corner and include some of the different origins. Um, but as we saw with Frenchie's origin, it's being slightly tweaked to for the show. So it's not too bad. I will say that the quote, the title, The Female of the Species is More Deadly Than Male, is a reference to the Rudyard Kipling poem of the same name. Mm. Um, so that's always a fun one. Now, moving on to our ever-loving, or I should say dolphin-loving, uh, friend, uh, the Deep. As some of you may have guessed, the Deep is the allegory of Aquaman, in, or the Submariner in the comics. Um, so he's always been in the comics, a long-time member of the Seven. Um, mm-hmm. and he's been, as we heard, the King of the Seas. Um, so it's always interesting to see how they play on that. Um, and the strangely, rivers and the docks and, yeah, <laughs> and the exactly. body of water, the puddles, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> and he, he has lots of friends. He can really talk to any shellfish, prawn, plankton, uh, gruber. Um, his friends are probably his best friends of cod. Um, so they, they, they're really playing up to that uh, robot chicken Aquaman joke. Um, which is that he's the most useless member of the team. Mm. He looks completely different in the comic books than he does in, uh, this in, in the show. He obviously has his suit, which is much more like the Aquaman suit of current day. In the comic books, he's got somewhat something similar, but he's got this big, massive, um, kind of helmet in the comic books. Mm. Um, that he says he cannot remove because of an Atlantean curse, which is okay. all BS. Um, he's just a man in a diving suit. Right. Um, his powers do incl- include super strength and flight and severe durability, uh, but he doesn't talk to fish. So that's kind of the fun part. Okay. Um, it's this contempt uh, and kind of disregard from the rest of the seven and the slags he gets and... Uh, it really does turn him into a bit more of a bad character. Um, but he's usually more mature and civilized. It's because he's more mature and civilized, say, than A-Train or Jack from Jupiter or any of the other kind of soups. It's they, they kind of dial into him and kind of really, really do some terrible things. Um, <laughs> Just so, so weird because in the show, I would say most immature character. Yeah, uh, and certainly has no respect for other people, given how we were introduced to him in the first episode. I think the only thing they've kind of twisted there, I suppose, is that he does 
care about animals. He does care about the animals in the ocean and the creatures in the ocean. So that's what they, that's what we've seen in this episode mainly. But uh, yeah, I would definitely say they've they've changed his character quite a lot, but still gets all the contempt and disregard of all the rest of the yeah, staff, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, they, there's some really good pieces which happen with his character kind of quite later on in the comic books. Uh, I will say that I'm going to save some of them mm. to see what happens in season two and where <laughs> we end with the deep uh, in the end of season one. Um, but he's just he's a oh he's a, definitely an interesting bell. <laughs> And that's the end of this cr- section of Chris's Corner. Please play the outro music, Derek. <laughs> Chris's, Chris's, Chris's Corner. I really want some better <laughs> theme music than that, okay. ladies and gentlemen. I know you do too. So, with that terrible theme song I've just put in, tell me, John, what did you think of episode four, Female of the Species of the Boys? I absolutely uh, loved this. I would give this five sushi dolphins on toast out of five. Mm-hmm. Yum, yum, yum. TV podcast industries do not condone the eating of dolphins on toast. <laughs> I, I, I condone the eating of Well, any the best bit fish. is the blowhole. <laughs> <laughs> nice feature our reference. Okay. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, I, I love this um, episode. I think this is just quality quality stuff i think i said it before i think uh writing that is able to interweave spice skills throughout it is kind of a phenomenal thing to do <laughs> um i think for me um and i i think it's this it's this constant intrigue um that i'm getting certainly about i want you know what's going to happen on in the future such as like with huey and starlight what's the back history of someone like billy butcher and with mallory files that are just being teased out leaked out really nice and slowly and and front and center you know you have the boys going about their business the internal dynamics of that the kind of distrust between frenchie and uh, mother's milk you have the seven and the corporate intrigue around Vought International. And I mean, I mean, for me, I think Anthony Starr as Homelander is just fabulous. And mm. um, I thought Chase Crawford was really, really good uh, in this as well. And Carl Urban as Billy Butcher. I just love how uh, everything ar- around the boys uh, hangs uh, off him. Uh, we even do get to see uh, his, his duck eggs in, in this episode as well, <laughs> which is, uh, you know, it's... Uh, always a positive. Yeah, always good to see Carl Evans' duck eggs. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, this to me is absolutely standout. Um, and again, it's not going to be to everyone's taste, given dolphins having, you know, randy chit-chat, um, dolphins then being run over by, uh, you know, uh, articulated truck, um, plus, you know, the themes and that some people aren't going to be onto it. But for me, I think this is probably some of the best TV I've seen. I really want to watch it. And maybe that's because I've not read the comics. I don't know, but I love this. So absolutely five sushi dolphins on toast out of five with a blowhole on top. Mmm, <laughs> all that seasoning. Yummy. Derek, tell me, what did you think? Of this episode of The Boys. This is definitely the best episode so far, The Boys. Um, the balance of humor, the, the violence in it from, from, uh, the meeting of this new character of, of, uh, the female is fantastic. Uh, that coupled with this kind of getting together of, of Annie and Huey, really, really good and, and learning so much more about The Boys and 
learning so much more about how evil Homelander is as well. Like this is a dark turn for this character and, and really enjoyable to watch. You know, I think they're doing a really good balance of getting all of these things right to make into a really intriguing show and a really interesting show to watch. So excellent episode for me. Uh, dying to see episode five. Definitely. Uh, Chris, last up, but what did you think of this episode of the boys? I can't say much more outside of what you guys have already said. It really is. This is a show that's going from strength to strength in each episode. Mm-hmm. Um, typically we mid season, you will see a bit of a dip. Um, but they're really, as you said, going, showing that they can pull off crazy humor at the same time as pulling off crazy violence and pulling off other things in between. Um, so for me, it's just the whole lot is fun. And I'm really enjoying it and I want to see where it goes. Uh, but I will say, John, the difference is even having read the comics and knowing where a lot of this stuff goes, I'm still enjoying it thoroughly. Great like, stuff. It's so different enough that I, I am still wanting and left questioning where things will go. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm thoroughly enjoying it and thoroughly having fun with it. Excellent. Let's get on to our feedback section on to Frenchie's letters. Um, first piece of feedback came in from Steve Brown the other night. Late night, Steve was listening to our episode of episode three, where I mentioned that Jack Quaid is the uh, son of Randy Quaid and Meg Ryan, um, which is completely incorrect because uh, Randy Quaid uh, was not married to Meg Ryan. Uh, that was Dennis Quaid, uh, a very famous actor from, also from the 80s. Uh, thanks, Steve, for pointing that out. Uh, the guys didn't seem to be too interested because I don't think they either, either of them know who Dennis Quaid or nice. Meg Ryan are. But, uh, but yes, so completely wrong. My sincere apologies. I don't normally get that stuff wrong. Um, but yes, it would be very scandalous if he was the son of <laughs> Randy Quaid and Meg Ryan. Uh, my apologies. Dennis well, Quaid is I, excellent. Mm-hmm. Yes, I do know Dennis Quaid, but uh, I, all the Quaids kind of melt together in the 80s for me. Uh, it's almost like a Quaid too far. <laughs> We got some feedback from Bob Phillips on episode four. He says lots of lovely work about how the patriarchy works in life and in genre. My favorite seven moment from the episode is Queen Maeve stood with a manipulative, evil, self-centered supervillain in thin air after having tried so hard to do some good. She's not yet evil, just crushed. A best boys moment, seeing the lovely, kind Frenchman in all his tender ways, rescuing the captive, loving his sherry, taking down the fugitive, all made so much better since the OCD of MM has been explained by Chris last week. Ah, nice one. Excellent stuff, yeah. Chris's corner proving its worth. I love it. The podcast within a podcast strikes (laughs) again. (laughs) And Bob says, best other moment for the episode, the point where Huey calls out Annie for being deliberately rubbish. I mean, that's about my level of bowling prowess, but cracking point again about how the world works with feminine attributes. Yeah, really, really interesting moment there between the two characters as Annie kind of goes, well, every time I say to anybody that I'm good at things, instantly they just stop calling me. So I've stopped saying that I'm good at anything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Bob, for that. Yeah, on Queen Maeve, I'm not entirely sure i think the fact that she was willing just to to leave and not bring it up she's complicit with homelander there i'm mm. i think she's slightly more sympathetic absolutely and yeah. Um, yeah i'm not too sure she's that much less evil than than homelander mm. i think she's just probably got more of a conscience so will struggle with it for longer than homelander yeah. will yeah but ultimately you know give it six months and she'll be back with her um, homies sort of doing sort of uh, workout drills on on the crash mats. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Thanks so much for that, Bob. 
Thank you so much, Bob. And I'm glad you're enjoying Chris's Corner. Uh, I'm glad it's actually doing what we hoped it would do, which would give that more bit of information that would help you enjoy each episode a bit more. Mm -hmm. That brings us to the end of this episode and review of The Boys Episode 4. Don't forget, if you want to leave us some voicemail feedback or just feedback in general, don't forget you can go to tvpodcastindustries.com or send us an email at feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. We will be back with our review of Season 1, Episode 5 of The Boys. Good for the soul next Wednesday. Until then, don't forget to subscribe to all of our feeds on TV Podcast Unity so you never miss an episode. Share the love, share the podcast, and leave us an all review when you're there. We can definitely appreciate it. Thank you so much for me. This is Chris signing off. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back with Pennyworth next Monday and, of course, the boys next Wednesday on TVPodcastIndustries.com. Yeah, thank you so much, boys and girls, for, for joining us. As always, it's a pleasure talking with you. Uh, whatever about sharks after this episode, I'm never swimming with dolphins. Uh, but after I'm over that fear, we'll be back to speak with you again soon. <laughs> Bye. You fear what they'll do to you? <laughs> yeah. So dirty. Mm. Don't touch me there, dolphin. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew what Flipper did uh, once they shouted cut? <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.